This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science. This is Pokey Science. Welcome back, everyone, to the Pokey Science Podcast, part of the Pika Science Podcast. Uh, we're back today, and we're talking all about the earth, just the earth in general, just the earth, nothing else. Uh, no, we're going to be talking about geology, rocks, landforms, all the great stuff that you fell asleep into in high school. And I wish you hadn't because this is going to be a great, great episode. Uh, I have with me today, Jared, I'm here. And hello, I'm Anaru. And we have a very amazing and wonderful special guest. And I cannot wait to introduce you to him. So I'm not going to wait. And our guest here is, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Ethan Penner, uh, but some people know me as Rockman Ethan. Uh, I'm a geologist. I graduated from Binghamton University in uh, 2022 with a master's in tectonic geomorphology. And I'm also a geoscience communicator on uh, on TikTok and Instagram and a couple of other platforms. Yeah. And I, I have to say, your work out there on TikTok and Instagram, delightful, enjoyable, easy to digest, which I hope this episode will be too. So we're going to talk all about uh, geology, and I think we're focusing on geomorphology uh, specifically. And I, I, I'm going to turn this over to Jared here because I know we got some questions for you really quick to get a little bit more about you. I think I just skipped the first one. Sorry, Jared. I'm going to jump into the second. Uh, if you want to ask, I mean, you can ask him about what else he studied if you want. So, uh, Ethan, but, I just want to ask what yeah, go ahead. got Sorry. you interested? What got you interested in geology and earth sciences? Uh, yeah, so what got me interested in, in geology? Is that what, that what your question was? Yep. Yeah, so I uh, I started out in high school. Um, I guess I started as a kid, and I just loved rocks and minerals. I loved everything having to do with nature. And uh, that kind of continued until uh, middle school when I said, okay, scratch that. I want to do marine biology. thought that was what my passion was and chased it a little bit, kind of sucked that a little bit. And uh, then I went to high school did earth science. I said, that's, that's a little bit more my, uh, my speed, my mantra. And I continued with that all the way into college. And I pretty much knew that I wanted to, to do that, uh, made, you know, picking out a major easier, taking the right classes easier. Not everyone obviously has that same experience and that's okay. You can take as long as you need to, to find, uh, what you want to do, uh, with, uh, with classes and, and a major in college, but it helped a little bit. And then, uh, I just, kind of kept going and, and kept taking the right classes that I would uh, be able to develop my my passion for, for earth sciences and geology more instead of maybe like taking uh, just, you know, specific classes that were going to only uh, help with my like, prerequisites and that kind of stuff. And then you also talked about you were a, you are do science education to the public. Uh, what is that all about? What do you teach? What do you talk about? Yeah. So, while I, I did, you know, geology in, in college, I didn't actually do anything with science education and, and geocommunication, which is what I consider myself to be now. Um, that kind of started uh, in my beginning of my junior year, or actually midway through my junior year. Oh, no, actually midway through my senior year. That was, yeah. So that was, it, it was the whole, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic had kind of messed up everyone's sense of time. Um, and I started just making videos because I was bored and I wanted to combine my passion for geology 
and I uh, developed a series that most people are, or, or many people are familiar with, uh, What's Inside That Rock, uh, kind of to a catchy tune, helps people you know, get inspired to go out and uh, experience geology for themselves. And uh, I developed this into other, other uh, series and other videos that would allow me to, you know, accumulate a very, a very large following of people that I never really anticipated. I, I never really imagined that I could do that. Um, and then this eventually got me to making more educational videos uh, where I would be talking about either like geo- geological discoveries uh, or more recently, I started talking about uh, geology of Pokemon, which is why I'm here in the first place. And uh, I never really imagined that it could be uh, something as a career. I just kind of imagined that it was a, a hobby. And uh, but if I can put those skills to good use, then that's really the only thing that I could ever ask for, and kind of spread the the joy that I feel for geology to other people. I mean, is it really working if you're enjoying it? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you know, it's it's sometimes social media can be a little bit unenjoyable uh, depending on what you're, what you're dealing with. And, you know, it also is just a very hectic world, but there are some nice moments and some other, you know, same with any other job and any other thing that people do to, that takes up time. And then I actually have a question. Uh, Cause we talked about it a little bit off of uh, the podcast. How did you uh, come up with the idea for like the Pokemon? And then what was your favorite Pokemon to talk about? And then we'll get into the whole, what is geomorphology? Yeah, totally. Uh, so, like, how to get into the the geology of Pokemon kind of thing? Yeah. So, as a kid, I you know I loved Pokemon. A lot of other people, you know, same way. Uh, and I think it was just kind of like having that that knowledge of Pokemon, having that that you know excitement about them that carried over from being a kid. Um, that when I was approached by one of my uh, uh, associates. Uh, who suggested that it could be a topic for a video series, possibly. I said, don't even worry about it. I, I know exactly what to do. Um, and, you know, conveniently, there are Pokemon with rock and ground types. Uh, and funny enough, they a lot of them are just basically puns off of, uh, you know, geological terms and, and geographical terms as well. Um, what my favorite one was, it's a tough question because there are a lot of cool ones. Um, I'd say maybe so far, cause I'm not necessarily done with it. I think I've just taken like a little bit of a hiatus from it, but the one that I've done currently so like so far that I, I really liked to talk about is, uh, uh, Nackley, uh, Naclastack and Garganical. And I found it when I made a video about it, uh, people were, you know, saying, wow, it's, cause I actually forgot to mention it in the video, how it's N-A-C-L in the, in his name is, you know, a, a very clear pun to, you know, just naming salt. Uh, and people were commenting on it. And I'm just like, do you not think that I realized that? And I didn't think it was necessary to mention. It was so I just obvious. realized that. I uh, know. I just <laughs> realized that. And I had one on my team this entire, um, the entire time through my entire Gen 9 playthrough. I've had one and I love them. I completely did not realize that at all. doesn't help that I nicknamed yeah. it. So that won't it- help me at all because I don't see the name very often, but. It's like one of the oh. only chemical compositions that people actually know is NaCl and H2O. Like that's mm-hmm. it. Those are those yeah. are the only ones people know. Yeah, but I it was interesting because so many people were like really passionate about just you know telling me that, and I'm just like I really appreciate your enthusiasm. Uh, I'm glad that you realized it, and I was like, but 
when I extensively researched this Pokemon for a video, it came up quite a few times. But yeah, so that's it was a, it was a fun Pokemon to cover, especially seeing how they integrated a lot of the a lot of the you know salt characteristics into the Pokemon being a cubic crystal, and uh, you know it was it was just really cool. But I, I'm excited to hopefully you know do more in the future and uh, see what other cool rock and ground type Pokemon I can cover. All right, so let's get into the big topic of today. What is geomorphology? Geomorphology is kind of a, a broad topic because it has a lot of subdivisions and uh, different things that people can study. Um, but it's also really cool in the way that you can see geomorphology pretty much anywhere you go, whether you're uh, or commuting through a city that seems mostly flat or if you're hiking over a mountain range and you can see you know pretty clear mountains. Um, but it's it's really just to simplify things how geology and environmental processes uh, can produce incredible landforms uh, over the surface of the earth. So we're talking about erosion, earthquakes, storms, and glaciation, uh, just to name a few processes that can really alter landscapes. Uh, But geomorphologists want to kind of understand how a landscape formed and and like why it looks the way it does. And not just to say like, well, here's the geology of it. It's made of you know, clay and, and, and sedimentary rock. Um, but it's also not just restricted to geology, which is a cool thing. Uh, you can talk about uh, biology and, and chemistry and how they can also affect environments. You can have things like uh, chemical weathering, which can is a, is a huge reason why uh, you have a lot of geomorphological features. Um, and it can be large scale, small scale. It can happen over uh, you know, just on a, a single beach, you know, just you can see very tiny uh, features forming, or you can see, as I mentioned, a, a mountain range or an entire glacial pathway that can form different um, different features. So a lot of geology doesn't necessarily have a huge impact on, uh, on humans and especially human infrastructure. Uh, you can talk about mineralogy and it's, it's cool. It's has, you know, obviously humans use you know, gold, silver, copper, a lot of other minerals, but it doesn't really have an impact on our our safety, on our on our well being, and things that happen on a daily basis. Um, so, things with like natural disasters—that's pretty much all geomorphology and how weather and and other processes can affect the landscape. So, understanding geomorphology is is really important to kind of uh, just helping helping to preserve infrastructure, helping to be safe. And uh, yeah, and so it's it's really just a cool, cool area, and I'm I'm glad that I got to learn a lot about it in uh, in college. Yeah. So uh, another question that we have: uh, What are the forces in our world that cause these developments, changes, and destructions of landforms? And could you go a little bit in detail about these different processes? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I mentioned a little bit uh, previously: the earthquakes, storms, glaciers, just huge things that are completely out of you know humans' control that we can't uh, we can't prevent or or sometimes even mitigate you just have to kind of go with the flow um but i you know i mentioned you can't really predict how they're going to impact the environment so you can kind of only really predict how the structures are going to be formed you can you can predict like oh you know this this flood is going to cause a lot of uh you know changing of of the courses of rivers but you don't necessarily know like where that's going to be, where that's going to happen. You can just kind of give a general prediction. Um, 
there's also other things like hydrology is a huge area um, that causes change. You can have, uh, like I said, rivers, groundwater, tsunamis, uh, climate, aeolian, which is wind processes, deserts and tropics. Climate is a huge thing just because, it, you know, depending on whether you're in a desert or in a you know, very tropical area, you can obviously get different structures forming. Um, and sediment is a huge part of, of you know, how structures and, and geomorpho- geomorphological features can form. Um, usually it's just sediments and then that sediment can be compacted over a, a long, long enough time if it's undisturbed. Um, and some of these processes like earthquakes can occur really quickly. And then some of these processes like erosion usually take millions of years to really make a, a, a noticeable impact. For example, the Grand Canyon, other features like, uh, like U-shaped valleys will have in, in some landscapes that are formed by uh, the flowing of glaciers. Um, so I once, I'm going to interrupt you because I need, I once dated a girl who did not believe in erosion. Uh, went crazy. to a, went to a very uh, fundamentalist upbringing and, you know, believed that the earth's age was really short. So thus erosion and the Grand Canyon cannot exist. Yeah. And, and so yeah. it seems like a, like a very simple thing, just saying erosion doesn't exist. That's it, exactly what she said. That's exactly what she said to me. We broke up the next day. <laughs> but, but, but knowing like how, how interconnected these things are, like, it does seem kind of crazy that the Grand Canyon is there if you're approaching it from like a, a standpoint of, of not just not wanting to, to, you know, believe or understand the, the scientific data that went into gathering that information, but it takes, you know, these, these, these things take a a level of, of, you know, study that can seem daunting, but once you understand it and once you, you, you know, really take a look at it, you can say, okay, that makes sense. Erosion does seem like a very possible thing that can affect that. Um, But I was just going to say that, that pretty much anything in nature can be uh, a, a force of change development and destruction to, to landforms. If it's, strong enough or if it's not strong enough to destroy it or, or you know remove it then it can it can definitely alter it over the course of, of time so actually building off of that a little bit uh what type of benefits can you get from studying and understanding these processes you, you touched on them a little bit previously but let's go more in detail on those yeah so one thing i mentioned was well like flooding and that's a huge thing that affects pretty much anyone in any area whether it's you know just slight flooding after a rain event or uh, or a torrential flood, uh, you know, due to like sea level rise or or just you know in- intense rain that you might have in some flat areas that just kind of ruins some infrastructure, and and understanding how we as as a society have kind of built a lot of our infrastructure without having that in mind. You'll have a lot of places that like you know Miami, it's like a meter above sea level. And if, if you think that weather is just not going to affect that, whether the climate is just not going to be changing and Miami is going to be here in 10 to 15 years, then, you know, you should take a little bit of a, a look back at, at the scientific information and say, well, something might have to be done in order to, you know, kind of understand the geomorphology of, of Miami and, and most of Florida, actually, um, but it also, it's not just like as serious of things as, as that, whether it's, you know, preventing the loss of human life, it's, you know, understanding how beaches can be completely, you know, migrated from one area. If you have like a, a you know, Cape Cod, 
uh, and you know you really frequent that beach a lot, and then you come back a couple of years later and you notice that it's dramatically smaller, and you're saying, well, what happened? And understanding that you know you have this thing called longshore drift, and it kind of just pushes a lot of the sand in one area of the beach off to another beach, and so that's why sand supplies are pretty sure. I don't know if you guys knew this, but sand is a very hot commodity. I did know this. We just discussed it at our house last night, actually. Uh, my fiance is building us. Uh, we ha- I have five raised beds that I built, uh, but he's building a new one because we have like four blueberry bushes. So we have like this big, like 13 foot bed going in right now. Jared's saying, yeah, I'm excited to blueberries. <laughs> uh, we already have a whole star- strawberry patch. So like we get strawberries every like four days. Like it's, I love it. I love self-sustaining stuff. Um, but he went to buy sand and he was like, oh my gosh. It's so expensive. And I know uh, Anaru can probably comment a little bit better being that, you know, his background is economics. Uh, but I was just talking to him about like, yeah, dude, the price of sand is expensive right now. Like, because it's in such short supply, because like all these like island countries and like these beaches and wealthy areas are buying up sand by the billions. And like, it's like the price is just shooting through the roof. He was like, Oh my God. He's like a bag of sand is like $27 at Home Depot. And I was like, that's so crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very crazy thing to think that, you know, something that should be in such, you know, complete supply and and it shouldn't even be like, you know, you go to Home Depot and and you want a bag of like just any kind of rock or, or even topsoil. It's nowhere near as expensive, but it's just a simple, grain size difference and it becomes a you know a huge thing i would say like what you're describing about the beaches like i grew up with that um i live in ohio and my backyard growing up was lake erie i have watched the shore erode like where i have lived my entire life and like we grew up going to uh, a little peninsula there's a peninsula part in ohio that like juts out like and looks over by cedar point and I've watched the beach there that I grew up with, like a road over 33 years, like, you know, to just vanish. Uh, and, and as it like being pushed into, you know, the other, I guess a road's the wrong word, uh, but as it's being moved and shifted, you know, what used to be 300 feet of beach is now, you know, like 50. And it's like crazy to think about how much that shift happens. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like one of those things that I joke about a lot with my kids uh, is when we see like beachfront houses like that, we're like, this is like the dumbest possible place to build your house is right up against the edge of a cliff right there with Lake Erie or like right on the sand because there's a chance it might not be there in in three years or four years. Uh, It's still bizarre to me because in Ohio, those houses still sell for like, you know, tens of millions. And you're like, why? They're not going to yeah. last. <laughs> the, the the thing is that people, you know, 10 years ago didn't even anticipate this. They There's there's a kind of idea of, you know, only short term, like what's going to affect you in the next like couple of months. And when it comes to science, when you just say, well, in 10 years or so, you know, this beach could be completely gone and your house could be, you know, wiped away by, you know, advancing of, of, uh, of the water and, and other climate events. And people would just say, oh, don't don't even come to me with that, because not even just not believing in uh, basic scientific processes, but also not like believing that it could happen. Like people have just been saying, like, oh, look at the sea level rise. Like people have been saying the sea level was going to be, you know, up here, but now it's down here. It's like, well, it depends on the time of year. And it's, you know, not really something that 
can be predicted with extreme accuracy, but it is, when you look back 10 or 15 years, it's something that is worth noting. So it, it, it's definitely is important to kind of understand that, that geologists have a big part to play in how the earth and is going to be affecting things like infrastructure and the economy moving forward because it, you know, with every year or so it becomes a bigger and bigger issue. Um, touching a little bit on what we uh, discussed previously, so what benefits are there to studying and understanding landforms? Uh, so yeah, in, in a way that's similar to uh, studying most of and this rest of it, uh, rest of geomorphology, uh, with its you know the effects of it, it's it's really just about understanding what these landforms mean, uh, what what they can tell us about a landscape, its history, and and what it can mean for the future of the landscape. Um, so if you understand that you know a river, a meandering river has certain um, you know, formations uh, has a, you know, oxbow lakes, uh, which is when you have a, a meandering river that kind of went past its uh, its capabilities as a river. And so it kind of leaves a, a sort of horseshoe shape uh, lake. Uh, and if you are basically planning some infrastructure around a, a river, it's important to look at these landforms and say, well, how is this going to affect infrastructure you know, should we build here or is this not a good place to build? Um, same thing goes with flooding and, and, and then understanding the cap- like the extent of a floodplain. Uh, same thing goes with understanding uh, what moraines can, can tell scientists uh, from the standpoint of a glacier and how it's, how it's uh, receding, how it's basically being impacted by other processes. So, everything is kind of connected uh, in, in the geosciences and understanding the landforms uh, for geomorphology can help with other areas, you know, biology, chemistry, understanding just basically how everything else is intertwined and how other things will be impacted by other scientific processes. But so let's get on to the big, the meat and the bones of what we really want to talk about, because this is what we're all here for. We're all here for science, but we're also always here for Pokemon. So Ethan, what kind of landforms do we see in Pokemon games? So it's actually interesting because when I was going about this, I didn't really think that there would be a lot to talk about. I thought it would be just kind of like, you know, a big landscape. You know, you have some mountains, got some hills, but nothing really that's super interesting when it comes to, you know, geomorphological landforms and, and getting to talk how they form. Um, but there actually are lots of, of cool things that you can see throughout Pokemon games canyons rivers dunes uh caves beaches you pretty much you name it it's going to be in a pokemon game at, to some extent um and i don't think they really intended for them to be like let's put a whole bunch of geology stuff in in the pokemon games and see who notices i think it was just kind of like uh we're going to try to make the most you know realistic landscapes uh to help people kind of you know enjoy walking around finding pokemon in nature um but you know th- these these formations are usually not always uh designed to be realistic they're kind of exaggerated to an extent you might have a really tall spiky mountain in a pokemon game that's like well mountains don't necessarily form to be really spiky all the time um you mean that the <laughs> video game is not accurate that i don't have a desert next to a tundra Listen, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about why it's not accurate. But it's 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 very interesting because uh, to see how far the Pokemon games have come 
you know, they used to be, you know, blocky. Uh, they're still somewhat blocky, but, you know, the animation has improved a lot. But, you know, you can't really necessarily make a great landform in a blocky game that's, you know, 8-bit, 16-bit, 32-bit. Um, so 1996 uh, through 2009, uh, red, blue, and green uh, through Heart Gold and Soul Silver, it was it was very tough to make the the landforms you know come through. But in the more recent games, there's a lot of scenery changes and things that look a lot smoother and, and clearer. So that's kind of what I've been basing a lot of my landform uh, uh, judgment off of in a, in a way. But we'll, we'll probably get to how how realistic they are uh, later on. Well, how do you feel about these landforms being appropriately or inappropriately represented? Because wow. I could definitely see it from the beginning. Uh, they're gotten a lot better, but what do you think? What a convenient question off of my last, the last question. Um, so yeah, so I think they really did a good job trying their best uh, in, in in the in every game to make things realistic. I don't think they were putting like a you know a star shaped mountain or something like that. That's like completely impossible to form like that. Uh, you have you have rivers. That, that meander properly and are smooth rather than jagged. If you take a look at uh, uh, in the Torn region uh, on Route 4, there's a really, really cool uh, river that is basically uh, like the second or third stage of a meandering river. Uh, and that's even a blocky game. That's a, I forget what game it comes from, but it's uh, it's really cool to see that. You have you know way, uh, beaches uh, such as the Big Wave Beach in the Alola region that shows really cool ripples that form from... Uh, uh, currents and, and waves, uh, you know, sloshing over sediment over time and forming really cool patterns. You also have things like uh, plateaus and, and buttes that form in, in deserts such as the uh, Amman Desert in eastern Abaddon. Madison, do you have something to say about that? So I just wanted, and I know you haven't played Pokemon for a while. Uh, we did, or we talked about, you know, not playing all the games. Uh, the Torin region is actually a fan game. Uh. <laughs> it's actually Pokemon Insurgents, uh, which I have played because you said that, and I went, "Wait, that's Insurgents, isn't it?" Interesting. Um, so, so that's not actually—is it not a real location? I know it's not. I, but I will be glad to upload the picture of it to our Twitter and Facebook so that everyone can see what it looks like. Oh man! Well, the the cool thing about you know, I think most rivers and other bodies of waters that they are still somewhat realistic. I think I was looking up things about rivers in Pokemon games, and this was really the only one that showed up. That was like a really full picture of a, of a yeah. river. Um, but I think the point still stands that they're, you know, you don't really want to have a river that's completely straight. I had one uh, or a Creek that was really straight uh, right next to where I was uh, for college in Binghamton, New York. And it was called the Fuller Hollow Creek, and it was like completely straight. But when you have a really straight creek or any sort of like flow of water, it's not good because the river is actually supposed to kind of meander a little bit to kind of translate the flow of things to dissipate the flow. So if you have just water rushing down in a straight line, that can be kind of dangerous. But going on with some of the other uh, formations, uh, hopefully these are also correct. Uh, or, or in Pokemon games, uh, the the Holland or Holone Mountain in the Holland region. Nope, is that not real? It seems like it might be another fan-made game because it's like a really zoomed out picture. Uh, but the point still kind of stands uh, that it's hard to represent mountains when you have really blocky landscapes. 
uh, usually these things are much more rounded or, or not just rounded, but to an extent, just, you know, uh, eroded over time. Uh, Madison. We did say uh, Holon, right? Holon, yes. H-O-L-O-N? H-O-L-O-N. Um, so that one is another uh, fan-made game. Uh, but Gosh. if I'm not mistaken, the Holon region's a real place, though. Interesting. Uh, the Holon region is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, so the actual so Holon region shows up again, Pokemon Insurgents. Uh, but the Holon region's actually like a, um, so Pokemon Insurgents, uh, if no one has, anyone has never played it, introduced us the first uh, regional variants based off of TCG. Uh, so Holon is a TCG exclusive from the days of Emerald. Hmm. Uh, it was when they did Delta Species, uh, which essentially was like, hey, my Bulbasaur is, uh, you know, uh, psychic type or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea was that it was supposed to be like, hey, your Pokemon in the games learn other moves. So because like, they kept the same weakness, but would gain a different typing. Um, I was also trying to compare like some of the mountains to like how... Um how they are in like the animated series. But uh, I will like... say the Holon region, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm sorry, so sorry. The Holon <laughs> region actually, uh, the design there is very much based on Sinnoh, mm-hmm. uh, the way they designed like the mountains in there. And so in Sinnoh, we do see that. And I know, uh, I think we did say you did play Diamond and Pearl. Uh, when they did the remakes, it was really clear that they were designed like that, the mountains having that same kind of plateauing, uh, in the same kind of shaping. Uh, but so we got to get you Arceus if you haven't played Arceus yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like the mountains are usually pretty, you know, and, and plateaus are really representative of, you know, actual plateaus. And, and it's probably just because the game developers wanted a, a nice flat, you know, platform to be able to, to you know, have battles and, and explore on it. So it wasn't just constantly going up and down slopes. Uh, but when you compare some some landscapes and some landscape features to the animated series, uh, I believe these are real regions, unless I'm also wrong about that. I want to be like 0 for 4 or something like that. The uh, Johto region and the Kalos region, um, Snowtop Mountain and Palmas Mountain. Palmas Mountain looks like a very realistic mountain. It kind of resembles Mount Everest in a way. Uh, but Snowtop Mountain looks like, a, I looked this up and I was trying to find out if it was a volcano, but it looks like just like a, a how a third grader would imagine a volcano, but it's a mountain. Um, <laughs> And then you have also some like, I didn't see where this was coming from, but it's a, you know, sometimes you get just like, like you mentioned, Madison, how you get like a whole bunch of stuff thrown together in one place. Um, and sometimes you get like mountains thrown in with plateaus, thrown in with buttes uh, that were just like smaller plateaus, basically. And it seems like they were just trying to make that landscape look cool. Uh, so the landscapes themselves sometimes look very accurate. Um, but um there are also some things that they didn't include like very specific geomorphological features uh like drumlins and moraines which are both associated with glaciers i couldn't really find many glacial features uh but i'm just happy that you know geomorphology is represented to to some extent in the pokemon games whether intentional or not because it kind of adds a whole other level and layer of something cool for fans to enjoy if they're just uh you know walking around in the game so it's not just a a boring landscape now do the maps actually make sense in pokemon because you know my favorite thing is in gen 8 is walking in the wild area going to the dusty ball and then walking straight out and there's a giant lake sitting there right next to me so 
do these actually maps really make sense as far as landforms are concerned? So I won't dig into the maps too much uh, because obviously, like you said, and, and Madison touched on, very, very inaccurate when it comes to the walking distances. You can't you can't walk from a desert to a mountain to a forest in the course of a couple minutes. Um, but aside from the obvious and, and how the 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 spatial uh, aspect is not necessarily accurate, it's actually very interesting. And I didn't really know this that a lot of the maps are based on real places. You know, Ethan, uh, we actually just released last week uh, an entire episode about Spain. And the Paldea region, uh, and it's a two-parter, so you'll have to check out both part one and part two. Oh, very interesting. That's really cool. I think I was going to touch on the Paldea region a little bit, and uh, I didn't. I didn't actually know that uh, it was. Uh, you said related yeah. to related to Spain. Uh, yeah. So actually, all of the Pokemon games ever made are real-world locales. Um, the first four main games are all in Japan because Japan loves Japan loves Japan. Um, Gen 5 black and white is NYC. And then uh, Gen 6 is France. Gen 7 is uh, Hawaii. Gen 8 is the UK. Uh, and then they added Hong Kong as the DLC. Uh, and I'm not sure where the where the DLC is for the newest game is. I haven't figured that out yet. It looks like it's uh, somewhere in Japan. <laughs> I don't know yet. Because it's a Japanese mythos it's based on. I know that. That's really cool. Um, but even like the side I, games, side games are all actual locales. Uh, the GameCube games are uh, um, Phoenix. Wow. Yeah. So you just basically covered a big part of what I was going to talk about. Like, oh, I, no, no, no. It, more of a, I get to talk more about like just whether or not the maps are accurate on like a, you know, geolo- geological scale. Um, but I just found it interesting because I didn't know that they were actually based on like many, many cities and countries. I thought that they were just sometimes based on it just for a little inspiration. But yeah, so, you know, you have New York City, the UK, Japan. Uh, one thing I found interesting is that, you know, in, in the original games, you have the the, the Kanto region, uh, which is literally a, a name of a region in Japan. Uh, so there definitely was a lot of, uh, you know, you know, pride there in, the, in Japan. Um, but so if we talk, if we go back to talking about like whether or not the maps are accurate uh it's you know it's really just done so that you can you know navigate the world a little bit quicker uh and it's kind of the same thing that minecraft does you know these biomes that are so small and so close to one another without really any blending you know you can't just walk from a glacier to to a desert to an ocean it doesn't really make any sense uh, in a, in a geological geographical standpoint. Um, but the creators definitely did this because they didn't want, you know, players running around all day and, and running, you know, 70 miles in game, uh, to, to have to, you know, go to a Pokemon gym. Um, but, you know, in terms of, of the geology, if I'm going to nitpick, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a little bit inaccurate, but it still makes it kind of cool. I think that's the same thing with many fantasy games and, and many things that are not real world is that it lets developers do that. It lets people have their wildest imaginations. And, you know, that's kind of the thing that can happen, though, if you have a, a intense uh, a natural process like flooding that can bring sea level up to a forest and kind of create these surreal landscapes. If you have a, you know, that's kind of like the only situation that it would happen. Uh, but it's still pretty cool, you know, 
to see how they transformed the the New York City region into something somewhere that has a desert, mountains, you know, abundant, you know, plains instead of just being all a uh, metropolis. It was kind of interesting. It's it's you know, there's a, there's an aspect of it being unrealistic that is still enjoyable to an extent. Uh, so now let's take the unrealistic unrealistic concept and roll that up to like a thirty. Uh, so in the Pokemon world, we have uh, various creatures that do various different things. You know, we talked a little bit uh, about, uh, is it Nackley? Nasly? I've never Nackley. been able to pronounce I'll it. I'll call it Nackley. I was always concerned about whether I was pronouncing that right. Uh, we, we've got Pokemon like Nackley that are smaller scale uh, changers of the environment because they are themselves the representation of salt in a way. And then we have giant uh, legendary gods of earth, land, and sea uh, that are out here um, changing landscapes by merely thoughts. So we've got creatures like Regigigas who are pulling continents and Kyogre, Lord of the Ocean, Groudon, Lord of the Land, who can literally reshape landscapes as they please. Let's ruin Earth for a second and say that these creatures are actually here right now. My next door neighbor is a Groudon or something. What kind of impacts would this have on the geomorphology of the world? Well, if your next door neighbor was Groudon, I'd probably want to talk to the uh, the homeowners association and figure <laughs> out who who allowed that to happen. Um, but yeah, you'd want to keep them as far apart as possible because if if anyone is you know, as I'm sure all of you are up to date on your Pokemon lore, you want to keep those two as far apart as possible, or else it's going to be complete and utter uh, uh, battling and and uh, seeking the upper hand. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so like you said, they're able to reshape landscapes with a thought and, and they're able to do a lot of things, especially in the wrong hands. Uh, I believe this is a very bad moment for me. I can't remember the main villains in the, in that game in, in, in Emerald and red and blue. So red and blue's rocket, but you mean Ruby and Sapphire is going to be aqua magma. Ruby and Sapphire. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, Aqua and Magma. Aqua and Magma. Though okay. according to the comics, Aqua is the real villain. Oh, interesting. I got to get up to date with my comics. Um, but yeah, so they wanted to basically turn their powers into, you know, expanding. Like they wanted to get a hold of Groudon to eliminate the sea, make more room for the continents. They wanted to get a hold of uh, Kyogre to eliminate the, the land, the complete opposite. Um, but if you take a look at the Pokemon themselves, they're really not that evil. They're not, they're not, you know, seeking to dismantle the earth's ecosystems as a, you know, just as, as a pastime. Uh, Kyogre can raise sea level, control rain and expand bodies of water, but you can use that. You know, if it wanted to, it could just, you know, help other Pokemon out and, and say, well, if there's a drought happening. We'll make it rain. Uh, Groudon can, if there's a too much flooding, it can eliminate that. Um, so they're really just peaceful Pokemon that are unfortunately very, very powerful and gods. Uh, I don't know if they're actually gods. Uh, maybe they are, but, um, I think if, if you can do what they do, they're pretty much a God. Um, but if you, if you unleash them into the real world with everything that we're already dealing with currently, uh, it would definitely not help. I think they would not only throw off the you know, natural processes, but they would also impact the, uh, the biological processes as well. And, uh, food chains, uh, I don't even know what they eat. I don't know what, I don't think they would be eaten. 
Um, whatever they want. Exactly. That is true. I don't know, Jared, if you can talk about that a little bit in, in, in terms of how they would impact that, you might want to, but they, they, you know, there, there would be intense devastation, um, expanding continents, summoning droughts, uh, lowering sea level. Um, you have a, a, a geomorphological and geological process called uh, orogeny where you can have mountain building events. Uh, but that would basically be uh, uh, light work for Groudon. It can do that at a thought. Um, and the same thing can basically be said for Regigigas. It's, uh, you know, the leader of Regiice, Regirock, and Registeel. Uh, combining those forces as well as its ability to pull continents, you'd really just want to have it be in the right hands or no hands at all and just let it let it vibe. You don't want it to, you don't want to get it angry because it can destroy anything it wants, especially with a lot of... Uh, our, our shoddily made infrastructure sometimes. You don't want to be destroying cities like Godzilla. I think that would be the best comparison. Just l- look at any Godzilla movie. I don't even know how big are these things like when compared to uh, like, humans. I think like 15 feet. Really? I don't think they're supposed to be that far. Uh, I know Groudon is uh, is a heavy boy. Um, they're they're is... heavy, I know that. But I don't... Groudon I don't think is 11... 12 foot tall. <laughs> Groudon is eleven foot six. Uh, yeah, Kyogre's uh, fourteen feet long. Wow! Uh, and then their primal forms make them even bigger. So their their mega evolution equivalent uh, turns our mere eleven foot six guy into a very tall sixteen foot five guy. Uh, wow! With but they're still not they're still not like Godzilla size. They're not like you know. But they're feet arguably tall. almost as powerful, if not just as powerful, mm-hmm. and cuter. <laughs> except for no, mothra nothing beats mothra nothing beats mothra but yeah so mothra. just just to emphasize you, you don't want to upset these things and they could really impact uh uh they could they could cause natural disasters but they can also prevent natural disasters it's kind of like a you know no one should be able to control this kind of thing it's a bed of roses that can turn to a bed of uh bed of thorns if, if put into the right hands or wrong hands well uh this has been a lot of fun and ethan we've had a great time having you here uh, I do need to ask as, you know, where could our listeners follow you to find out more information about you and your work? You can actually uh, overturn any rock that you find outside and I'll probably be there. Uh, but all, all jokes aside, I'm on uh, I'm t- on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Tinder, YouTube, Tinder. Not anymore. I don't use Tinder anymore. That's that was <laughs> I, I had its time. Uh it's probably actually a great way to network if you're, if you're being honest. Could you, yeah, like, can you do science education on Tinder? I just, I make it like an automated thing. And instead of uh, doing like pickup lines, I'm just like giving out rock facts. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Uh, but yeah, also LinkedIn. I just, I post stuff about geology, rocks and minerals, geological discoveries, and other things that relate to science that I find kind of interesting. And like I mentioned, I just kind of love sharing science with other people and, uh, and thinking, you know, how I can help people understand what I understand in a very, you know, simple way. Uh, but yeah, I really appreciate you, uh, you all having me on the show. And uh, I had a lot of fun talking about the geology or, or geomorphology, as it stands, uh, of Pokemon. So I have one last question. If you could make any new Pokemon, what would it be? If I could make any new Pokemon. Well, I'm assuming it would have to be something that's geological as opposed to just being making like a huge puffball just you know that can 
emit hyper beams or something like that. Uh, but uh, if I can make a new Pokemon, there's a lot of, you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't mention there's a whole bunch of Pokemon that have to do with like crystals and, and fossils. I think the one thing, and also volcanoes, there's pretty much anything that you could think of geology related. It's, it's already there. Uh, if I can make one new Pokemon, I might make, I'd probably have to make something having, having to do with minerals, other minerals that aren't necessarily just salt. And I might just take a, one of my other favorite minerals, like maybe say, uh, I don't know, maybe something with, with an agate. If you all are related or are familiar with what agates are, they're really pretty banded rocks that you can find on beaches sometimes. And they have really cool patterns. And I think I would just make a really nice, pretty, pretty Pokemon that could form into like these, you know, these evolutions of like huge banding patterns. And maybe it would be something like a, I'm not, I'm horrible with names, uh, something having to do with just uh, how agate forms and how it, uh, it can be found pretty much anywhere. So it's maybe a common, common type of Pokemon so that anyone can have it instead of like a legendary. But that'd be cool to have like a legendary geology Pokemon. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Ethan. And we, uh, you know, hope everyone comes, checks out the rest of your work and you're welcome back here anytime. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I'd love to be back. All right. With that said, uh, thank you all for tuning in today and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.